Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Good morning. It is a good morning. Yeah, praise the Lord. It's a wonderful morning, bright, though cold and chilly, yet I believe God's blessing us because I haven't had to pull out my shovel. I haven't had to, my, my look. <laughs> okay, so uh, Cheryl Swartz just said, I, t- I totally wrecked it all because I mentioned it. <laughs> Sorry, Cheryl, I guess we'll be shoveling next weekend. <laughs> I didn't even put the little, I still have my, my blades on my little lawn tractor to cut the grass. I haven't even put my little... Uh, a plow blade on. And I'm just planning that for the rest of the year. That's the way I'm going to, that's what I'm saying. And if you ski, I'm sorry, go north. You're going to have to do that. Uh, we'll see who's the better prayer. That's, uh, we, we have a great snow crew here and I know they're praying too and their, their prayers have been answered. So church, last week I began to talk to you straight from the heart. And I, I want to continue that this morning. Like, uh, like a living letter is the way that I put it. And I don't know how else to put it. I just want to speak to you openly and frankly and straightforwardly. So I want to keep it going this morning. Dear church, what is this place all about? What are we doing here? This place called the local church. How do we view it? Last time we talked, we determined not to view the local church as a club, as a community center, as a social society where there's a chairperson and there's, a, there's board members. The local church is more than that, much more. The local church, we determined last time we talked, is an outpost for the kingdom of God, like an embassy or a consulate. And it represents the kingdom, and it's under the authority of the king. His name's Jesus. And I want to I repeat that. The local church is an outpost for the kingdom of God, like an embassy or a consulate representing the kingdom in the world and under the authority of the king. His name is Jesus, and he is the supreme, sovereign ruler and creator of the universe, the entire universe. Jesus is not a king, and I just want to reiterate this. Jesus is not a king in our earthly sense of a king. And again, this is something we touched on last time we talked, and I want to reiterate it. Jesus is the unking because he is unlimited and his power is unlimited and unbounded and undisputed. It's unqualified power. It's unrestricted, unhinted unhindered, unobstructed, unencumbered. It's undeniable. It's unequivocal. Jesus 
is the all-powerful king of the universe. And he's a real king. He's not a phony king. He's not a figment of our imagination. He is a real king of a real kingdom. Now, what does that make us? What does that make us if we have submitted ourselves to the king? It makes us citizens of the kingdom, citizens of a divine, eternal, never-ending kingdom where the king has vested authority here on earth. He's vested authority and responsibility in his outposts, the local church. This local church is no different. This local church is where we as citizens come together and our citizenship in the kingdom is confirmed. It's endorsed. It's encouraged. It's validated. It's built up so that when we're away from here, when we go away from the outpost, we remain good citizens. We remain strong citizens in the Monday through Saturday life in the world because we know we're going to be attacked. We know that our citizenship is going to be questioned. We know everything that we stand for is going to be come against by the world. And so we need to remain good citizens. It's part of the reason we come here to get encouraged and to get built up. It's vital to be part of a local church. And when you're integrated in a local church as a member and you take that seriously, and not just as a once a week, one hour a time frame during the week where we come together, but you take it seriously in, the, in terms of intertwining and integrating your life with the lives of others who are sitting around you today so that through the week, together you encourage each other and you continue to build each other up, not just on this Sunday morning for an hour, but all through the week. And then what happens instead of being influenced and swayed by the way of the world and the way of the culture, you in conjunction with others, you affect the world to make it a better place. Being integrated in a church, active, participating as a member, it yields fantastic blessings. And this morning, church, I want to discuss some of those blessings. And I want to do that by looking at the beginnings of the church, the roots of the local church. And there's no better place to see that than in the book of Acts chapter 2. And it's in there that the account opens and it tells us about the beginning of the church, the capital C universal church, but also the beginning of the local church, a very specific church. As a matter of fact, church in a city, and that city was named Jerusalem. And the beginning of that local church is talked about there in Acts chapter 2. And then that church, the church in Jerusalem, is mentioned specifically or alluded to over half a dozen times in the remainder of the New Testament. Why is that? Because it was a real outpost for the kingdom. It was a local church. Now, how did it all begin? How did that take place? Well, it all began on a Jewish festival, a Jewish holiday called Pentecost. Now, when you look through the Old Testament, you won't find Pentecost. 
In the Old Testament, it's called the Feast of Weeks. Now, why is it called the Feast of Weeks? Well, there were seven weeks, to be precise, leading to this particular Jewish festival. So they called it the Feast of Weeks. Seven weeks, seven Sabbath days were counted off from Passover. Now think back to the crucifixion. Jesus was betrayed during Passover, crucified. Now here it is seven weeks later. Seven Sabbath days have passed. That's seven times seven, 49 days. The next day was what they called uh, the Feast of Weeks. And in the New Testament, you read Greek, Pentecoste, Pentecost. It simply means, literally, the 50th day. So it was the 50th day after Passover, a celebration of the grain harvest. And Acts chapter 2, it was on this festival day where 120 people, they were praying together. They were praying in anticipation. I wonder if they were singing what we were just singing a few minutes ago, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Well, I doubt it. I don't even know if they knew for sure. All they knew is that Jesus had told them to go and wait for the promised, the promised one. He had said he was going to send the comforter, the counselor. And I know those early disciples, they didn't understand everything perfectly, but they were obedient. And they went to this upper room, about 120, and they prayed and they waited and in anticipation. And as they prayed, suddenly they heard what sounded like a great wind, like a train coming through. And then what appeared to be flaming tongues began to settle on the heads of everyone in the room and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. The Holy Spirit arrived and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now this caused a pretty big stir in the city of Jerusalem, an enormous stir as a matter of fact. And in the city, uh, there were Jews from all over. The city was packed. Why is that? Pentecost Day. It was Pentecost. They were there to celebrate this Jew Jewish festival. Acts chapter 2, verse 5 says, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven were in Jer Jerusalem. Thousands and thousands heard this noise, and they took note. And then they heard these people speaking in all these variety of languages. And they came to the place and they began to ask questions. They were amazed. Now Peter, the uh, disciple of Jesus, who was very outspoken, he began to speak up. The crowd was asking, what's happening here? Peter explained, this is the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit has arrived. Let me tell you, this was prophesied in the Old Testament and he quoted from the book of Joel. And he laid it right out there. Your sons, your daughters, men, women, they are going to receive this gift, the Holy Spirit. 
then he began to preach Jesus. First he talked about the promise of the Holy Spirit, then he preached Christ. And he said, Jesus came, he did miracles among you. Then what happened? Well, you turned on him and you crucified him. But he didn't stay dead. Jesus was resurrected to life. Peter pulls from another Old Testament passage, Psalm 16. Then he concludes. He concludes, and I want to share with you his conclusion. I want to go over the close of Acts chapter 2 from verse 34 through 47. Peter's wrapping it up. He's concluding, and this is how he puts it. He said, For David, King David, did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now let's hold on just a second there. What was King David doing? He was prophesying that a king would be sitting at the right hand of God. King Jesus, supreme sovereign of the universe. My king, your king. Peter's explaining. David said this 950 B.C. thereabouts. said it about a thousand years earlier. The Lord said to my Lord, the Father said to the Son, sit at my right hand. That was from Psalm 110. That's what Peter was lifting from. Now Peter goes on in his own words, and he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Local church just started, and they just started tracking heads. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's the beginning of the big church. See the whole universal church of God and the local church. 
the church in Jerusalem. This was the beginning of the church. Now think about what was going on for a minute. I want you for a minute to put yourself in the shoes or maybe the sandals of Peter. He was surrounded by thousands. We read that 3,000 were added to their number. There were thousands of people in Jerusalem. This is not some small group of people. This is a big crowd that he is surrounded by. It's only been 50 days since the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, I believe many in this crowd were likely those who had shouted, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Crucify him. And Peter had witnessed that. Peter saw how Jesus had been betrayed and how he was taken away. And then Peter followed along sort of in the shadows. And then someone said, hey, you knew him. No, I didn't know him. Uh-uh, not me. Peter denied Jesus three times. He was frightened. He was afraid that he might be executed just like Jesus. Now here it is, a month and a half or so later, surrounded by thousands, thousands who may have been pointing the finger and saying, you knew him, pointing the finger and saying, crucify that guy. And what does Peter say? He says, you, you, with the help of wicked men, put Jesus to death by nailing him to a cross. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, when I read that in Acts chapter 2, and knowing, knowing the, the back story, that this is only a month or so before, after Jesus had been crucified, Peter was so uh, frightened. I'm thinking this is what I'm going to read next. That the crowd rushes Peter. They beat him to a pulp. They bind him in chains and they carry him off. But I don't read that. Something is different. Something has changed. Peter must look different to, these, to this crowd. There must be something in his expression. There must be something in his voice. And he has been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they must see that. Peter isn't attacked as a traitor. No, the people are cut to the heart. What do we do, they ask? Repent and be baptized, Peter said in the name of Jesus Christ and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is he saying? Peter is saying, align yourself with the king. Align yourself with the sovereign king. I've just told you, he's a king. He sits at the right hand. Make a public declaration of the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. One step forward. And then another stepped forward and said, I want to be under this king. I want to be under King Jesus. And then more and more. The day started with 120 believers in an upper room praying. And the day ended with over 3,000 that say, Jesus is king. 
The first church began, the church in Jerusalem. They were citizens in a new eternal kingdom empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they took their citizenship seriously. We read, they devoted themselves, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They began to share things. They had things in common. They sold property and possessions, became generous givers. They gathered together in the temple courts to encourage one another, study the word. This was the laying of a foundation, the groundwork for the operation of the local church. Now much was going on. And I want to focus just on two areas. Two areas of the devotion of these, the first church. They were devoted first to each other. Or at least that's the first area that I want to talk about. And that's the word fellowship. They were devoted to one another. That's fellowship. Now, let's get this idea of fellowship. Imagine for a moment... It's 2,000 years ago, and it, we're, we're in the first century, and there's two men who stepped forward that day, and they were baptized. They heard what Peter said. They were cut to the heart. I'll call them, I'll call them Reuben and Simeon. That's two good Jewish names. These were all Jewish people there in the uh, city of Jerusalem, and These two men, Reuben and Simeon, they live in the same neighborhood. Now, after Pentecost, Reuben, he lived exactly as we read at the end of Acts chapter 2. He was devoted to fellowship. He was getting to know others. Hey, what's your name? Who are you? Man, I've been in this town so long, and... I haven't crossed paths with you before. Tell me a little bit about yourself. What do you do for a living? Hey, you want to come over to my house and break bread? Oh, sure, I'll come over to your house. That'll be fine. He's getting to know others. Are you married? How many children do you have? Breaking bread at other people's homes, having people over to his home. He's integrating himself into the kingdom. He's integrating himself as a citizen. Now, Simeon, on the other hand, as much as he loved the fact that he heard about Jesus and he was thrilled to be baptized and change his life, he found time is just, I can't give it up. I got things to do. I got a business to run. Oh, I can't be at all these temple court meetings. So he came occasionally, sporadically, Whenever he was at a temple court meeting, the only person he knew was Reuben. That's the only guy he knew because he was from his neighborhood and he would seek him out. Well, Reuben tried to introduce Simeon to other people, did his level best. Hey, let me introduce you to this person and to that person. They'll invite you over to their house. Simeon was even invited to some of their homes. But he was too busy to go. He had other obligations. 
work, life, family, it all got in the way. Then one day, a virus invaded the neighborhood and Reuben and Simeon fell ill. Soon, there were many people at Reuben's house. They brought him matzo ball soup and they prayed for him. They read the word of God. They encouraged him. And then they went back to the temple courts and they said, hey, Reuben is sick. We should all pray for him. And a whole church banded together to pray for him. His spirits were lifted. Someone went back to his house and said, Reuben, the whole church is praying for you. His spirits were lifted even more. And soon he was well, well enough to walk through his neighborhood. He stopped at Simeon's house and he knocked on the door. Simeon was still sick. His recovery was much slower. He's struggling. Now, he and Reuben struck up a conversation. Simeon saw the people going to Reuben's house, but they never knocked on his door. Simeon was embittered. He was angry. He was angry to learn how much the church had reached out to Reuben, and he was wondering, why did I get neglected? Why didn't they come to my house? Where's the prayer for me? Well, Reuben asked him a couple of questions. Simeon, when's the last time you were at a temple court meeting? Simeon, I know you were invited to other people's homes to break bread. Did you go? You see, Simeon was a club member. Reuben was a citizen. He was a church member. The difference is stark. And it's stark when you're devoted to others. There are blessings to belonging to a local church, dear church. What are we doing here? Why are we here? Is it just for an hour a week? Or do you want the blessings of belonging? Answer this question. Are you tangentially associated? Are you, are you tepidly a constituent? Or are you an all-in citizen? Because all-in citizens, they're devoted to each other. They care about each other. And that devotion yields blessings of care and prayer. And that's my second point. My second point of focus is the new local church was devoted to prayer. Now we can be devoted to prayer as individuals. We can pray alone. We can go into our prayer closet And as a matter of fact, we're encouraged to do that from time to time. Jesus went off alone and he prayed. And that is one aspect of prayer. But prayer in the context of devotion to others, prayer incorporated with fellowship is important and it blesses others when it is given. And it's a wonderful blessing to receive the prayer's of others. 
Now, in my illustration of these two men, Reuben and Simeon, prayer was missing for the one because he was unplugged from the others. It's not as if he might have been praying by himself at his home, but because he was so unplugged and tangential, disconnected, others weren't aware of his situation. Now, let me give you an example of real life. Let's fast forward 2,000 years to the present, to a local church, this local church, and see some of these blessings of prayer. The end of uh, last year, or near the end, young uh, Ariana McIntyre was taken to the hospital. And some of you might remember because she stood up on a Wednesday evening before Thanksgiving and told us her story. This young lady, 14 years old, was really sick. It was very, very uh, scary. For a, a time, they thought she might not make it. Now, I don't want to talk about her story as much as I want to talk about what occurred outside of her room in that hospital. When Julie and I heard about this, we said we should go to the hospital to pray. This is really serious. So we did. We, we had heard about this. We said, let's go. Let's go now. It was in the morning. We drove to the hospital. We, we're walking to the room. And as we're walking to the room, out of some doors uh, walks Ariana's mom, Catrice, and we started to talk about what was going on. We told her we wanted to come and pray. And as we were talking, two other ladies walked into this, this hall where we were standing. Two ladies from this church. One of them had heard about what was going on in the hospital and had gone to the grocery store to buy some provisions and then was going to come to the hospital to give the family the food and, of course, pray. The other mother who was with her, these were two ladies from our church, two mothers, and the other one was just at the store, happened to be there and heard what, what, what's happening and said, well, I'm going to go with you too. I want to go. And I don't get choked up too much, but I was standing there as these two ladies came and they dropped everything to buy something, to bring to the family, and wanted to pray. We all just took hands because there were too many to go in the room. And we prayed right there in the hallway, the five of us. And I was moved. Uh, to tears, which doesn't, you know, if you know me, that doesn't often happen. Because this was the church in action. Dear church, this is church. That's what it is. It wasn't a Sunday. It wasn't a prayer request from the pulpit. These were people that had intertwined their lives. They knew when one was in need and they responded. And I know 
that those two ladies that showed up wasn't just because they wanted to do a good deed. They loved to share Jesus. And they love to show Jesus. And they want to share Jesus with others. And when they do, they're not just sharing the gospel of Jesus. They're sharing about his kingdom, about being part of a kingdom community, a local church. And they're involved enough with others to know when one is sick and to immediately respond with practical help and with spiritual intercession, prayer. I give you another real world example. Part of the reason I'm standing before you today was nearly 20 years ago when my younger brother was ill and dying. And what I saw from the church, this church, it affected me. I saw response. I was part of the church. Yes, absolutely. I was involved in the church. My family, you know, Pastor Julie and I, we were, we, were, we were part of the church. It was well before we had taken any kind of position here in the church, but we were involved. But this experience, what I experienced and what I witnessed, it was amazing to me. My brother was just living two doors down from me, so this is how I could see these things unfold and happen. Meals being dropped off at his house. Help with his house. When things were uh, necessary, like cutting the grass, someone shows up and just starts cutting the grass. Help with the car. I'll never forget this. My sister-in-law walking down to our house, knocking on the door, crying. She's got an envelope in her hand. She said she'd been driving to Ann Arbor back and forth to a hospital and tires on the car are wearing out. She said, I needed tires. I just said, I need tires. And there's an envelope in her hand. Someone put in the mailbox. Said, get tires. And there was enough money in the envelope to take care of it. And of course, we're surrounded by people praying. And you might be thinking, you know, you said your brother was dying. And yeah, he did pass. Well, how did that prayer go then? What happened? He wasn't healed. And that's true enough. You know, it's hard to, hard to think of those things sometimes. Were the prayers of God's people in vain? No. The prayers of God's people were not in vain. I want to share with you what I wrote to someone just earlier in the week. You know, who has an ongoing uh, physical trial. I wrote this. When Jesus said to the sick that their faith made them whole, he declared the constant will of God in regard to sickness and disease and the abiding possibility of physical healing by prayer. Prayer does often contribute to bodily healing. 
However, when healing waits, prayer assures us that the divine will is that of God's love, and his will must prevail. Now, we know that infirmity and sickness cannot master a soul that by prayer is at unity with God. Paul prayed to be relieved in the flesh, and the answer came, my grace is sufficient for thee. Paul prayed three times. Jesus prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven to strengthen him. Prayer brings us to God's grace. And that grace is enough to withstand and to continue as we are ever becoming what we are in Christ to become. I received an answer from that little note. There was a little more to it. And it said this part, just part of it. It said, Pastors Pat and Julie, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your prayers and concern. Just knowing the body is lifting you up in prayers helps strengthen my faith and resolve. And what I caught from that was the word body. Because it's not just Julie and I praying for this particular person. This person knows the body is praying. The body, others, people that are part and parcel to life and intertwined and interconnected because this isn't a person who's been disconnected for all kinds of time and now infirmed and saying, where's the church? Now it's a person who's a citizen and mentioning the body, the body of Christ. And that's what we are as the church. Not something that we partake in once in a while. Paul described this unity, this fellowship of believers like a body. He said, hey, the eye is part of it. The hand is part of it. When's the last time your hand got up and walked away? This is the way we have to look at our connection the body. Dear church, we are his body. Get connected, stay connected, and you'll be blessed. And I want to close with a blessing of prayer. If you are visiting with us today, I want you to know that the second Sunday of the month we like to close with prayer here at the altars. Our elders will pray. The word of God says, if any among you are sick, let them call on the elders of the church to be anointed with oil, and they'll pray the prayer of faith. So we do that as we close. I want to invite our elders to these altars. And if you're here this morning, even if you're here for the very first time, and you need prayer, you can avail yourself to this blessing this morning for anything. 
I mean, it could be, could be a need for work. Maybe you just have a decision to make. Maybe you have this in front of you. I can take this job or that job. I need, I need direction. I need help. Come for prayer. Maybe it is a physical ailment. Maybe it's something that's been dogging you for a long time. You know, come on forward and ask God to meet you. And these elders of the church who take it seriously, their responsibility to pray with you, they will. We want to get to know your names, pray with you, ask God to do a great work in you. So it doesn't matter what the need is. God's bigger than it. And we trust him. So I want to invite you. If you're, and if you're in the back and, and you can't make your way all the way, just raise your hand. We have elders here who will just come and they will pray with you right at your seat. Keep an, keep an attitude of prayer at your seat if you don't need to come forward and pray for those who are. Father, we ask your grace to fall upon these elders right now. God, we ask your grace to fall upon them and use them as channels of your blessing and divine power of the Holy Spirit. We're here as the church today, God. As they gathered in the temple courts in the early church, we're gathered under this roof, this sanctuary this morning as your local church, as part of your kingdom, an outpost in the world, and we're asking for the Holy Spirit to be here, to do a great work. God, move in the hearts of people even as you did on that first day. Lord, to touch hearts, to step forward, to receive grace, your grace that is sufficient through the prayer of these elders. And together, by faith, we expect your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.